belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Seth. Our our scripture readers have been giving me a hard time today for giving them the scripture on prostitutes. (laughs) Well, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack that for a moment. Welcome, welcome to our church this morning. Listen, before we, uh, jump into this message though, I just do have a few things that I want to talk to you about. Um, we saw on the slides and even Chris announced this morning the, the worship night tonight. Listen, this is a little bit of history that's happening here at Grand Point. I'm so proud of our worship team, but honestly, it's not so much about producing an album. Album, as it is about producing worship and praise. And I just applaud them for, I mean, the lyrics, the words, and all that's coming out of this music is so God-focused, so God-centered. And so we want you to come out tonight, and we're just going to fill this place with uh, praise as we uh, kind of celebrate, kind of celebrate the original songs that they wrote and all that. And then in two weeks, two weeks from uh, this weekend is what we call uh, Next Steps Weekend. Uh, you don't have to be here at Grand Point very long to know that we believe that everyone has a next step until you take your last step, right? That last step, we'll talk about at your cemetery, right? So until then, until then, we believe that you have a next step to take, and that's all of us. And here at Grand Point, we celebrate a few of those next steps, including baptisms and uh, church membership and child dedication. So on the 27th, we're going to be receiving uh, 30 plus members into our church. Great group of people that God has brought to Grand Point. All of them saying, hey, we want to be part of this. We want to jump in here and uh, be part of this ministry. So we're going to celebrate the new members. We have about eight people being baptized across the campuses, four here. I believe three or four over at, at Shippensburg campus. We're going to be uh, dedicating 11 children. And uh, that's just a big, uh, big step too, because it's these parents coming and saying, man, we want the church. Uh, to partner with us in raising these kids. So we're going to celebrate that on the 26th, Saturday evening baptisms, and then Sunday morning, uh, reception of new members and child dedications. So come on out. And if you are in, in any one of those categories, and you're like, I didn't know about this, or can we still get in? Yes, you can as of midnight tonight, right? Jump on our website and you can register for any, not, not church membership. Uh, that is a process that's on its way, but baptisms or child dedications. Uh, we we will take member, uh, applications yet until this evening, and then we'll need to process that uh, through the week. So one more thing, one more thing. This morning, we have a group of guys, I believe it's about 13 guys that are heading out to Patagonia for a fly fishing trip. Uh, if you know where Patagonia is, it's in the southern tip of Argentina. Uh, we've got six guys from Grand Point that are kind of heading this up and taking the lead with this trip. And it's guys from all over the uh, kind of the U.S. And and uh, it's, it's an interesting mix. This is not just... Uh, going for fish. This is turning into kind of a missional uh, thing. A lot of the guys are kind of meeting up with some missionaries there in Argentina, and they're going to give them some stuff. But this is a huge trip. It's 24 hours. Aubrey, you're in on this, right? You're still in. Going this afternoon. Uh, some are leaving this morning. Aubrey's flight's a little bit later, so he's able to be with us this morning. But 24 hours of travel, just a reminder, Aubrey, that's coming. And uh, I think these guys need our prayer. And I might pray that, that somehow they get bumped to first class or something. Would that work? 
work uh, for 24 hours. Uh, big trip coming up, but such an amazing opportunity. That's not our typical men's ministry here, but it is. Uh, there's already talk about a trip next year. So if any of you are like, well, I didn't, I'd go on this if I'd know about it. Uh, we'll keep you informed if this works out for next year as well. But so for all you fly fishermen out there, uh, stay tuned. Uh, so we're going to pray for them and then it's going to lead right into the service this morning. So would you bow with me as we pray? God, it's so good to be here in the house this morning. It's so good to uh, just be part of a church that's ministering in several locations today. We pray for those over at Shippensburg, those gathered at Greencastle, and we pray that God, that God, that you would just work through those services and impacting those communities in an amazing way this morning. We're so grateful for everyone that's gathered here at this campus and uh, with all the services that are happening here for our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, and those in this room. It is so good to be be here just to share life together. And as we, as we do that, we want to just pray for this team that's leaving for Patagonia today. This is an amazing, amazing opportunity to go to this incredible part of the world and uh, take, take part of some world-class fly fishing. But it's a big trip, and it's a, it's a lot of travel. So we pray for these guys. We pray for everything to work smoothly today, for flights and connections and luggage and all that kind of thing. We pray for their families that are being, uh, being left behind here to just kind of work this week out without them, but we're so grateful for the opportunities that await them in Argentina and the opportunities they'll have to encourage others and just be part of a, uh, a group of guys that just knit together uh, in the midst of nature, in the midst of this, uh, this sport. God, we thank you now for the time that we have in your word and just ask that you would use it to grow us deeper, man, in our commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, here at Grand Point, I don't often uh, cite or or quote Dr. Seuss as like the theologian of choice or influence or anything like that. But Dr. Seuss wrote this poem uh, years ago that really sets the stage for today's message, and it goes something like this: uh, "The Zode in the Road" by Dr. Seuss. Uh, have I told you about the young Zode who came to a sign at the fork in the road? He looked this way, and he looked this way too. And he made up his mind, and in his mind, he had to decide what to do. Uh, so, um, <laughs> thought I had to. So, the zoo scratched his head, scratched his chin, and he scratched his pants. And he said, uh, I, I know that I'll, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, it might be too hot. So, how do I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'd be a fool if I go to place two and find it too cool. I, I might catch a cold and turn blue. So place one may not be the best and not place two. So play safe, cried the Zode, I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll start out at bo to both places at once. And so that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went nowhere at all with a split in his pants. Right? <laughs> so you can interpret that whole thing as you like it to. But uh, every, every day we wake up and make, uh, we have to make choices, don't we? Every single day, we're faced with decisions, and they're decisions that kind of impact the course of our day. Sometimes they're decisions that we make that impact even more than our day, but maybe our life. It is estimated that the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. After I mentioned this in the other service, a guy came to me and he said, hey, I'm retired. I only make two decisions. Do I do it today or do it tomorrow, right? So, but but we, have, uh, we make all these decisions, right? 35,000 decisions a day. Now, granted the fact that most of us sleep at least seven hours a day, that leaves 2,000 decisions an hour or one decision every two seconds. 
Uh, whenever I hear statistics like this, I feel sorry for the poor research assistant who had to kind of watch every, every moment of the day to determine this. But listen, and, and we might also argue, you know, is everything that we do a, a result of a decision, conscious decision, or do we do some things instinctively or kind of reactively? Is it always a conscious decision? Well, wh- wherever we are on that, I think we would all agree that life is nothing more than a steady stream of decisions that you and I need to make. And one of the things that I believe we all realize and know is that every decision that we make has a corresponding consequence. And so what I love about the Bible is God in his love to us has given us the story of the Bible because it just shows us over and over again the results of our decisions, the results of our choices. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three in the very beginning, uh, mankind had a choice. Right, God said, hey, here's all this garden for you to live in and to enjoy, but this one tree, I don't want you to, I don't want you to take of this one tree, right? So uh, now Adam and Eve had a choice. Are we, are we going to obey God or are we going to disobey? We know the results of that. They disobeyed God, pushed God out of the equation, and they suffered the consequences, which now impact all of us. And so over, over and over again in the Bible, every book of the Bible is, there, is a story of people's decisions that they made, some good and some bad, and the consequences of all of that. And then we get to the book of the Revelation. That's the book that we're in right now. So if you're joining us online for the first time or here for the first time, our studies today are in the book of the Revelation. We're going to be in chapters 17 all the way through 19, verse 10 today. But we come to the book of the Revelation and we're faced with choices. Right In chapters two and three, this book is actually written to seven churches in the, in the province of Asia, and all these churches are out there. And I was going to talk about uh, the Philadelphia today, but since Philadelphia is undefeated, I have to talk to Laodicea. Just had to, I just had to work that one in there. I'm sorry. But, but Laodicea, uh, God says, listen, I would rather that you be hot or cold. I mean, be on board for me. Be cold. Be this cold, refreshing one for me. But just don't be lukewarm. And, and, and then, you know, the, the indictment was you're lukewarm. And the consequence of being lukewarm, and, and that might be like trying to go both ways at once, right? In this world or living for Jesus Christ and kind of lukewarm. You know, if you have that faucet and it's in the middle, it's kind of lukewarm, neither hot, you're neither cold. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be lukewarm because it kind of makes me sick. I just want to spew you out of my mouth. Our God does not like lukewarm Christians, right? He wants you hot or cold. So we all have that choice to make, whether we're going to be all one for Jesus Christ or whether we're going to be lukewarm. And then we jump into chapter four of Revelation. We have this window open in heaven. We get this glimpse into heaven and we see this one that's seated on the throne. And that throne is just a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of control. It's like the God of the universe is controlling everything from above, right? And, and, and we have a choice then. Do we follow this one, right? We jump to chapter 11 of Revelation, we're introduced to this dragon on earth, and the dragon is identified as this evil one, right? The, Revelation even calls him Satan, right? He's one, he was once an angel in heaven, but he was kicked out or hurled. I love this word, hurled. Hurled down to the earth, and now his mission is to lead the world astray, the entire world astray. So the one that's enthroned in heaven has a spirit that speaks to us. The one that reigns on this earth, the dragon, also has his spirits and voices that call out to us saying, come this way. And, and there's the other voice that says, come this way. And every single day, you and I have a decision.
decision whether we're going to follow the spirit of the living God or whether we're going to follow the spirit of this world. And now today, we come to Revelation chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, all the way to verse 10, and we're faced with yet another decision. We're introduced today to two cities. It's kind of the tale of two cities. It's the city of Babylon, and it's the city of the New Jerusalem. And I want to talk to you about that today because every morning we wake up, we wake up and we face one of these cities. And we're going to have to decide where we're going to build our house. What city are you choosing to live in? So here's what I want to do. I want to read this text for you, at least part, part of the text. And then we're going to talk about these two cities. I need to warn you, uh, the language in this text is rather graphic. Um, it's, it's not what you might uh, expect from the Bible. We're going to be introduced to the prostitute and the beast. And it's rather graphic. Now, I want you to remember, though, what imagery is for. Why we have this imagery in apocalyptic literature. Imagery uh, speaks to us in ways that words cannot convey. The reason that Jesus gave all this imagery and these symbols, including a prostitute and a beast, is because he wants us to feel something. He wants us to get something in our hearts, in, in our minds, that words simply could not do. So he's given us these, these pictures. Now, if this is your first time at church, whether online or in the house, and you're like, man, they're talking about prostitutes and beasts. This is kind of crazy. These people are crazy. No, you're not, a, you're not in a cult or anything like that here. We're, we're kind of just working through the scripture and the images that are there. Just be glad I'm not using the King James Version. I'll have to use some other uh, words. But it's all in the Bible, so it's okay. So here we go. Revelation 17, uh, verse 3. Now, if you were here last week or chapters 15 and 16, uh, we get this picture into heaven, and there are these seven angels that appear. And that, that's not unusual for heaven. That's Heaven's full of angels, but we have a picture of seven angels. And these seven angels come out of the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, right? This holy place. So these are good angels and they're coming out and they're carrying these golden bulls full of the wrath of God, right? Now that doesn't kind of make sense. It seems like a contrast there. Holy angels, good angels, right? From heaven, but they have this wrath of God. And chapter 17, they, or chapter 16, they pour out this wrath on the earth. Listen, what that is, is simply God's holiness judging the world and it's sin, the sin in it. We can always escape from that, and we can be taken away from the wrath of God, thanks be to the work of Jesus on the cross. So we don't have to worry about the wrath of God unless we choose uh, to live that way. But now, in this text, one of the angels, one of the angels comes here now in chapter 17, and it says this, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. We've seen a lot of things written on people's foreheads in the book of Revelation, haven't we? Chapter 13, we see that the people of the earth had the name of the beast written on their forehead. Chapter 14, there's this group of saints in heaven, 144,000, and they had the name of the lamb and the name of the lamb's father written on their foreheads. And now in chapter 17, this woman riding the beast has a mark on her forehead that says, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. That's a huge label for your forehead, isn't it? What, what a label to have. Now, if you choose to believe that these marks that Revelation is talking about are literal marks like 
something tattooed on your forehead or something in the form of a microchip or whatever. That's okay. You can believe that. But I want you to see something else. I want you to see what's happening in every one of these cases where there's something written on the forehead. In every one of these cases, the identity represents a belief system, a worldview, or some kind of an ideology. The basis from which we make all of our decisions. See, as we think what our worldview is, what our belief system is, that's what, that's what forms the decisions that we make, which I believe is exactly why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, do not be conformed to this world, right? Don't let your thinking be caught up in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because from the mind is where we make decisions, Right? And so all of these cases here with the name written on the forehead probably has something to do more with an ideology or a worldview. And that's going to make sense with where we're, we're going with this here. The mark that is on this woman is the name Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes, plural, and earth's abominations, plural. This, by the way, is the key. This phrase is the key to interpreting this whole scene. So mother of prostitutes means mother of more Babylons. Mothers have babies. Mothers reproduce, right? So there's more Babylons that are coming. Now, whatever the ba- whatever Babylon John was facing in the first century that is mentioned here, it's not the last. There's more Babylons to come, which is why it is possible for you and me to wake up some morning and find ourselves in Babylon. Now, I want to identify the city of Babylon. I think this is all going to make sense here in just a moment. And then I want to compare that with the city of the New Jerusalem. Because there's a choice. There is a decision that's all wrapped up within this picture. So number one, and I just want to show you what Babylon is from this description in the book of the Revelation. Number one, Babylon is a city where God is left out of the equation. God is left out of the equation. So in using this name Babylon, one must ask the question, is John referring to a particular city or to a particular nation that is actually called Babylon? Probably not. Probably not. See, this all happened even before recorded history. Uh, this name was put in there. And Babylon, the root word for Babylon is Babel, B-A-B-E-L. Now, if you remember reading in Genesis at all, in Genesis chapter 11, uh, this is a time when all the earth spoke the same language. Can you imagine that? All the earth spoke the same language. How convenient would that be? Right? All Portuguese, right? Or all Spanish or all English. I don't know what the original language was, but everybody spoke the same language. Now, what happened was this. These people, humanity, got together one day and they decided they're going to build this great city. I mean, everyone's speaking the same language, so they're all talking the same thing. They're going to build this great city and in this city, they're going to build this tower that reaches up to the sky. First skyscraper right here, Genesis chapter 11. Now, why would they do this? Well, Genesis 11, verse 11 tells us, they said this, they said, we're going to do this and let's build a name for ourselves. In other words, that simply means let's build a a new society without God. Let's kind of leave God out of this. We want to be our own lords. We want to be our own gods. We want to rebuild the world around ourselves. And then the story goes on and tells how God confused the languages uh, so that humanity could not find its unity apart from God. See, Babel is a code word for humanity seeking to build the city without God. Hang on to that thought for a moment. 
See, I don't think this was a particular city because you go all the way back in the Old Testament and there's a number of specific cities or nations called Babylon. Nineveh was Babylon. Tyre was Babylon. Persia was Babylon. Greece was Babylon. And Rome was Babylon. It's not a particular city. No, it's an ideology. It's a, it's a worldview that comes from, that, 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 is, that is in this coding of, of Babylon. Now, at the time that Jesus gave the revelation to, uh, to John, Babylon was clearly manifested in the Roman Empire. Uh, the beast that the woman is riding has seven heads, and the seven heads are seven hills. Babylon, geographically, was built on, or Rome, geographically, was built on seven hills. So, so we go back and we say, okay, we know what the identity is there. There's even one interpretation that suggests Babylon represents the old Jerusalem. Now, in that particular case, what John is suggesting is that Jerusalem became the prostitute because she has chosen to ride on the back of Roman power and wealth. This fits perfectly, by the way, with the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 1, uh, verse 21, where the prophet Isaiah gives a vision concerning Jerusalem. And in this vision, he says, see how this faithful city has become a prostitute. He, he identifies Jerusalem as a prostitute. And here's why. She was once full of justice and righteousness, but she sold out. Jerusalem has forsaken the Lord and spurned the Holy One of Israel. See, the reason that the Bible reveals all this and the reason that the Bible uses the imagery of prostitution, which is strong language, right? It's because prostitution is simply selling yourself out in contrast to being the bride of Christ who's fully engaged to Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that. We're going to end with that here in a moment. But see, any nation or any state who removes God from the equation is a prostitute and will face the consequences of prostitution. I, any individual who chooses to, to live life without God or pushes God out of the equation, out of your life, would be identified as, as, as a prostitute. And listen, you're going to crash. It all goes down. What we see here in Babylon, in chapters 17 and 18, that Babylon is fallen, fallen, fallen. Nineveh fell, Tyre fell, Persia fell. Every, every city that's been identified as Babylon has fallen. It's exactly what happens when you push God out of the equation. Now, let me show you some other marks, and then, then, we'll, then we'll jump into an application. Babylon is also a city where sensuality and immorality are rampant. You can go to chapter 17, verses 2 and 4, chapter 18, verses 3 and 9, and it mentions this sexual immorality over and over again. So John is speaking of Babylon, this worldview or this ideology corrupting the earth with her immorality. Listen, you know this, man, all over our world today, in homes and schools and offices, there's music videos and porn sites that are being accessed every day and every night. The porn industry in the United States right now is 13 billion plus. One porn site, Pornhub, uh, has like 38.5 billion hits a year. I mean, this is rampant all over our, our nation uh, today. We're even at a place in our nation right now where this might stun you, but 47% of Christians admit to being caught up in porn and sensuality, 47%. See, what Babylon does is this. Man, it spreads its influence of sensuality and se sexual immorality all over the place. Number three is this. 
Number three, Babylon is a city where unjust economic structures exist. So in chapter 18, verse 13, John speaks of Rome, right? Selling slaves. I mean, literally selling bodies and souls. That's kind of unjust, isn't it? Well, that's what was involved in this. And you have to ask the question, how many Babylons are actually built on the back of slaves, right? Unjust economic systems. How much of what glitters and shines in our world today is actually built on unjust economic structures? Uh, You can go to uh, chapter 18, verses 12 to 13. You see the value system of, of Babylon, And in chapters 18, verse 9 and following, there's this whole section that kind of speaks of how the economic system crashes within the time frame of one hour, right? It just doesn't work. Unjust systems work. Now, I don't know what all that means and how to interpret that, but I do know that this is a judgment on Babylon with the same judgment that she imposed through her injustice. Number four, Babylon is a city where people tend to worship products. Babylon finds her identity in what she produces. She thinks her security is the gross national product, right? And uh, so many nations kind of ride on that as well. But decisions are made here in Babylon that only help what produced uh, the fastest. Number five, Babylon is a city where violence is on the rise. Chapter 18, verse 21. Some of you are on LinkedIn. I know some of you are out there. And on LinkedIn, there was this article that came up in, I believe it was in June of this past year. And it simply said, violence surges in our society. Year after year, violence is surging. America right now has its highest level of violence that it had since 2016. This is not only like high terrorist kind of violence things, but it's just the agitation of humanity and the divisions that exist within humanity and and all that, the impatience that's there. So Friday night, Penn and I were on a date and we went to Hobby Lobby. (laughs) I would love to say our dates end at Lowe's, but it, it didn't happen this way. But some of you were there. I saw some of you guys there too. So I wasn't the only guy in Hobby Lobby, but we're standing there. We're buying something for the church. So we had to go through this checkout line that had to do with tax exemption. So we didn't really have any choices. So we're standing there, this checkout line, the woman and her daughter that were in front of us were just getting into candle making, which means that they had like 15,000 molds and they had like all this other stuff and these colors. And there was so many things that they were checking out. I mean, I, we could see from the cart, this was going to be a while, but we didn't have a choice. Well, this lady that's and her daughter, they keep turning around and looking at us and they're like, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry that's taking so long to do this. And, and uh, we, we kind of waited and we're sorry, we're sorry it's taking so long to do this. And my dear wife just leans over and says, that's okay. It's okay. Just take your time. We love what you're doing there. I lean up and whisper in Penny's ear, Penny, you're being too nice. And the very moment, I kid you not, the very moment I said that, the lady behind us in some kind of British accent said, we just need more patience in this world, right? This world is too impatient. We're too agitated. Right? And I, I was corrected right there. She didn't know she was correcting me. But so when the lady in front of us left, I said, uh, I said, you know, she turned around and apologized again. I said, don't ever apologize for being creative. And Penny doesn't think that I meant that at all. But see, that's kind of the thing. Real life shows up in the checkout lines. Real life shows up in the grocery checkout lines. It shows up in the daily things, the agitation, the, 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 the lack of patience, and stuff that leads to violence. Now, now obviously, there's even a greater uh, level of violence. In fact, in this text, uh, Babylon is constantly preparing for war. 
She thinks that she thinks the way to solve problems is with weapons, thinking that weapons bring security and freedom. Number six, Babylon is a place, is a city where deception and lies characterize the government. I don't know that I need to say any more there, but did you ever think, did you ever think that you'd live in a, in a, in a time when grown men and women in, in, under, the, under the, the, the realm of statesmanship are firing at each other with the vitriol and name calling that we see today? Unbelievable. This is Babylon, perhaps maybe even at its lowest. Number seven, Babylon is a city where people glorify themselves. Chapter 18, verse seven. Let me just take you to another scripture on that point. Second Timothy three, verse nine says this, mark this. I mean, write this down. You guys got to get this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Here's what terrible times will be like. People will be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, abusive, out of control, conceited. Have you made the connection yet that Babylon is where we live? Yeah, Babylon is where we live. All the characteristics that we see here of Babylon, it's what we're living in. In other words, we wake up every morning in Babylon. Now, the consequence of living and making your home in Babylon is you're going down. Every time we read about Babylon and someone that was characteristic, someone that was labeled Babylon, they failed. They crashed. See, Babylon does not stand the test of time. Babylon does, Babylon does not hold up. So what do we do? What do we do? Do we like jump the border and go to Canada? Do we all jump on, on, no, Babylon's there as well. Do we all jump on the plane with Aubrey and go to Patagonia today? Babylon is most likely there as well. We live in a world that is characterized by Babylon. So what do we do? If we wake up in the morning and we're facing Babylon um, and, and, and we don't want to live here, what do we do? Well, the response is found in, uh, an answer comes in chapter 18, verse 4. I love when there's an answer to significant questions like that. So chapter 18, verse 4, John says, Then I saw another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her. Come out of her. Oh, we have this big picture of Babylon. Now we're to come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heavens. See, there's this voice from heaven that says, come out. But, but go where? Go where? Babylon is everywhere, right? Where are we to go? Listen, I want you to, I want you to get this. I do not want you to miss this right now. This is the call to live in, but not of. To live in. You and I are called to live in as the salt of the earth, to live in as the light of the world, but we're not to live of it. This world is, is, is not our home. We're to live in this city, but not of it. See, to be a Christian is to be a citizen of where? Heaven. Your citizenship is not here. Your citizenship is not Babylon. No, your citizenship is in New Jerusalem. And, and to, be, to be a citizen of heaven is to be a stranger and an exile while here on this earth. And that status is not a name only. It actually results in a true break with this world so that Christians no longer do as the world does. We live in it. We can't avoid it. We go to work in this world. We live in this world. We have neighborhoods that are in this world. But, but we're different. We're different from the rest of the world. Now, this is no easy task, is it? This is not easy at all. I don't know how you navigate it. But for me, I'm going to admit this as your pastor. Man, this world is attractive. I don't know if you ever saw this in the, in, in the, the book of the Revelation, but even John 
takes a look at, at the prostitute when he sees her, and he's like, whoa, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what verse that in, but the angel turns around and says, why are you looking at her? So John even found Babylon attractive, and so do we. So do I. There's so much in, uh, uh, so much in this world that has, has an attraction to it. So how do I live in this and, and, and not be of it? So here's the thing. This is why we do what we do at Grand Point Church. We need each other, right, to help each other live through Babylon. We need each other. So on Thursday night, I was here. Penny and I are part of a small group uh, with the Reengaged Marriage Ministry. And, and by the way, if any of our small group is in this room today, man, we love you guys. And uh, we're gaining more from you than what we're letting on, just saying that. But we're part of a small group, and it's amazing. But this past Thursday, I had to leave early. I had to leave about 8, eight o'clock or a little bit before 8. And I'm walking through the hallways of the church, and I went past this classroom, this classroom, this one, this one, seven classrooms. And I just looked in every single one of those, like windows in the doors, and I saw groups of people sitting around tables, sitting in circles, talking about hurts, habits, hangups, marriages, all talking about how are we going to make it through Babylon. I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. That's why we do what we do. We need each other. The same thing happens here at the church on Wednesday nights when the youth take over the facility. There's small group after small group after small group just meeting and having face-to-face conversations and just talking about life, talking about how we work through this temptation and how we work through this over and over again. It's happening. Now, I want to just address those that are watching online today because you might be thinking, wow, you know what? I can't really get there. I don't really have a, a face-to-face group of people. Now, I don't want to dis, I don't want to, uh, like, let you out of this because maybe there's a virtual group that you can be part of or wherever you're at. I know some of you just can't be here, but I would just encourage you somewhere, somehow, and everyone in this room to connect with a small group somewhere. It is so vital to help us live through Babylon. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. I can be a Christian without going to church, right? I can be a Christian on my own. Indeed, you can. Indeed, you can. But I'll tell you, in isolation, you're more tending. You, 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 there's, there's a greater tendency to be critical. There's a greater tendency to be self-centered. There's a greater tendency, perhaps, to drop your guard against the attacks of the dragon, But when you're in a small group and you have accountability within that group and you're sharing life with each other, it strengthens your, your, uh, strengthens your commitment. It, it helps you live through Babylon in ways that isolation could not. And so I want to encourage everyone to be part of a, a small group, to connect with a circle somewhere, somehow. And you can stop at the hub just to get some information on that. But I also put a plug in for regeneration and reengage that will be launching in the new year. Plenty, plenty of opportunities for you to be connected uh, in that way as well. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even if, even if you can be a Christian on your own without being involved in a group, somebody else out there needs you. There's a group of students meeting. There's a group of men meeting. There's a group of women meeting. There's a group of young adults meeting. There's a group of young married couples meeting, and they need you to be in that group. They need you. Oh, you're doing fine on your own, but this group needs you because you have, you have grown in this area. God has gifted you in this area. Do not rob the body of Christ by choosing isolation. See, we need each other. You know what else we need? We need Jesus Christ. 
We need Jesus. And I don't know if you knew this or not. See, there's one thing about us praying for each other, but did you know that Jesus is praying for you? John chapter 17, we have these words where Jesus lifts his eyes to the Father and he says to his Father, Father, my prayer is, and he's, t- he's praying for you. He says, my prayer is that you do not take them from this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, it's not out of it. It's not in it, but it's, it, it, but it's, it's not of it, right? Boy, I just confused everybody with that. It's <laughs> even myself. It's, it's actually living in this world, but not of it. And Jesus is praying for you because he knows that until you leave this earth, you're going to be faced with babbling stuff all over the place. And Jesus doesn't let you on your own. He gives us each other and he gives us himself where he will actually pray for us. Now, how good is that? So all that means is this. We can We can live in Babylon. We can face Babylon every day. And we help each other and we trust Jesus who who wants so bad for us to experience the holy city. That is why Jesus gave us the book of the Revelation. The imagery that he gives us sharpens the issue. The vivid imagery that he gives us in chapters 17 and 18 sharpens the choices. So he gives us this book to reveal what we would not otherwise know in that this great city that we wake up in, live in every single day, is perhaps not as ultimate as it thinks. It will fall. John gives us this revelation to free his church from the Babylonian captivity, to free us for the new city, which will never, never fall. Now, I want to introduce you to this new city. This is a turning point right now in the book of the Revelation. This is what we're waiting for. Pastor Doug is going to come in just two weeks. I'm not going to take your message, Doug. Don't worry. He's going to unpack this in a great way. I can't wait for the last message in this series, right? Doug is going to, he's going to take us right to that holy city and, and talk about that. But I want to introduce that because this is what we're waiting for. The only two more messages in this series, and they're going to lead us to this new Jerusalem where all things are made new. Watch this. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this... All that we just saw about Babylon. John says, now after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but everything coming from heaven is kind of loud. right? I heard a loud voice of the great multitude in heaven crying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, is the only place in the New Testament that you will find the word hallelujah. And it's listed four times. Four times, a four-time hallelujah uh, chorus that just comes right out of this. By the way, one of our goals is on the last Sunday of this series, we're going to end by singing together the hallelujah chorus. So get ready. We might do a drop-in choir up here for you to come up, but just get ready. Brush up, brush up on uh, on the uh, the hallelujah chorus because we're, we're just going to let it ring. But here John sees, he's, Christ, here's these angels crying, this voice from heaven crying hallelujah. I know we all have different ways to express enthusiasm, but in, this, in these verses, the four times hallelujah is an exclamation. It's an overflow of enthusiasm for being delivered from Babylon. Now, we all have different ways. Some of us are all out, right? When we celebrate, you celebrate, uh, we know it. I mean, you're loud and you're all over the place and others of us are a little bit more reserved, but I'll tell you this. However you express your enthusiasm, there should be, should be a hallelujah coming from your life. And if there's not, it probably means that you are not saved or you have no idea what you've been saved from. 
Because when you understand what you've been saved from, when you understand what you've been delivered from in Jesus Christ, there is nothing less than a hallelujah that will flow from your life. And it will be all over you. People around you will know that as well. Hallelujah should characterize the body of Christ. And again, if there's not a hallelujah flowing from your life, if you don't wake up in the morning and you're not thinking hallelujah, Right? If you're not going through your day and frequently just uh, thanking God for his goodness to you, you've kind of been caught up in Babylon, and Babylon has crowded out the truth of what you've been delivered from. And we need to come back over and over again and be reminded of this, because hallelujah is our chorus. That's the chorus of believers. See, is this future? Some of you are like, well, yeah, I'll do that when I get to heaven. I'll do that then. Like when I step from this earth, when I finally get out of Babylon and step into that new Jerusalem, yes, I'm going to shout hallelujah. I don't want you to wait till then. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? It says, if anyone, this is on earth. This is on earth, church. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That is a hallelujah. That's what we're going to be celebrating here in just two weeks with baptisms, right? It's a hallelujah moments because there's a new creation that has happened. Yes, we long for that day when all things will be made new, but we don't have to wait until that day to experience life in the new Jerusalem. I'll just very quickly, I need to wrap this up here, but from the four hallelujahs in Revelation 19, we know that the new city, this is what we're headed for. This is where we're going to live. This is where our citizenship is now, right? So hang on. This new Jerusalem is where God is recognized as powerful and just. This new Jerusalem where, is where God alone is worshiped. This new Jerusalem is where God is feared. This new Jerusalem is where God is glorified. Now consider the consequences of living in the new Jerusalem, right? What were the consequences of Babylon? Fallenness. The consequences of Jerusalem, choosing Jerusalem, is a feast. It's a forever feast. It's being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, read Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10 sometime today. This is huge. Man, this will, this will fire you up because you'll be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the reception. I don't know if Jesus does the cha-cha slide or not, but I'll tell you what, it will be a reception like you have never seen in your life. It's a reception that you don't want to miss. All comes down to a choice. So what's your decision? What's your decision today? You're going to choose just to live in Babylon? Be consumed by this world? You're going to choose to live in the citizenship of heaven? choosing Jesus Christ and the values of his kingdom and living those out, following those out. It's the difference between fallenness and a feast. And we all have that choice to make. Listen, there's no middle ground. You can't be like the Zod and go to both places at once, right? I'm not going to try to interpret the split pants thing but, or, or translate that, but you'll go nowhere at all. And listen, my, my, my hope for all of us is that one day, one day, all of us from Grandpa <laughs> will be in that new Jerusalem together, but you know, we get to experience it now. How good is that? But it all comes down to a decision. It all comes down to a choice. What will you decide when you wake up tomorrow? What are you going to decide this afternoon in Babylon? So we're living in Babylon. Just, just kind of recognize that. We come to admit that. 
We live in Babylon. It's a world that's characterized by a lot of things that are drawing us away from the holy city. But the holy city is our goal, isn't it? Man, we want to arrive there someday. We want to live there now. So I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for the choices that you will make in your life. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. Everyone here is valued by the God of the universe, the one who sits on the throne. Valued so much that he would give us his word to live by and his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. In order to take away the sins of the world, in order to give us that victory and that power to live through Babylon, so that we would one day, one day arrive in that new Jerusalem forever and ever. But even now, as we live in this present, Lord, I thank you that you have made it possible for us uh, to, to live in that new Jerusalem as new creations in Christ. And so my prayer would be right now for every man, woman, student, child that's in this room right now, hearing this message, watching online in this house, my prayer would be that every single day we would choose Jesus, not the things of this world, but the things of the heavenly kingdom. God, I thank you. Thank you for making that possible for us. In Jesus' name.